So you've probably seen the headlines uh, back in July, such uh, as from Reuters. Skittles are toxic, U.S. lawsuit claims. There's also the uh, Guardian that said, taste the toxin, Skittles unfit for human consumption, lawsuit claims. And then there was also from EcoWatch, uh, taste the toxin, lawsuit claims, Skittles unfit for human consumption. So what started all this? Well, in July 2022, Californian sued Mars, the maker of Skittles, claiming that the candy was, quote, unfit for human consumption because they contain titanium dioxide. And they went on further to say that uh, titanium dioxide is a known toxin. Now, I'm not one to split hairs necessarily, but as a toxicologist, the word toxin usually means a natural substance like, uh, you know, snake venom. Bee venom, stuff like that. Uh, titanium dioxide doesn't really fit into those categories. It's more considered a toxicant when we're talking about chemicals. Uh, we tend to use toxicant instead of toxin, but that that's that's fine. So the question really becomes then, how did we get here? What happened? How did this person in California decide that you know they should file this lawsuit? Well, we need to rewind quite a bit. We need to go back to May of 2021. That's when the European Food Safety Authority, or EFSA, published its opinion on titanium dioxide when used as a food additive. And what they concluded was that overall titanium dioxide is safe, with the exception of DNA damage. And so uh, in toxicology, we tend to call that genotoxicity. What EFSA said was there's too much uncertainty to say whether or not titanium dioxide actually causes DNA damage. They found several studies that suggest that titanium dioxide may actually cause damage to DNA. So as a result, EFSA released a statement saying titanium dioxide E171 is no longer considered safe when used as a food additive. E171 is uh, another name for titanium dioxide when it's used in uh, food and medicines. And they followed up that headline with a statement that clarifies that EFSA cannot establish whether or not titanium dioxide actually causes DNA damage. So they have this concern that it could cause DNA damage. And as a result, they are saying that it's not safe to be used as a food additive. And on January 14th, 2022, the European Commission banned titanium dioxide in foods based on EFSA's opinion. So that's the story you know. Now, today, we'll be discussing the story you don't know. From Raptor Media, this is Critical Science. This is Dr. Lyle Rickman, host of the Critical Science Podcast. So you're probably thinking to yourself, now, you know, titanium dioxide is in lots of places, lots of foods, lots of candies, you know, Skittles, obviously. The European Union banned titanium dioxide because they felt it was unsafe. 
is it really still safe for me and my family to eat titanium dioxide containing products like Skittles? Is this really something we should be doing? It's also in medicines. Is this really a safe thing? And if you read the press reports, you might be wondering, you know, is this really safe? Because there are uh, groups like the Center for Food Safety that are saying that titanium dioxide should have been banned a long time ago. Well, here in the U.S., we have the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. They look at this kind of data all the time. The FDA feels quite sure that titanium dioxide is very safe. Here in the U.S., we're, we're very different about how we regulate things than compared to the European Union. We take what's called a risk-based approach, whereas the European Union tends to use uh, hazard or um, the uh, precautionary principle. Here in the U.S., you know, we would look at, okay, so how much titanium dioxide is someone realistically going to be exposed to? How much of that, you know, when we talk about exposure, how much we're talking about how much is actually going to get into your system? So when you ingest a product that has titanium dioxide in it, let's say like you eat a handful of Skittles, you know, the FDA has rules about how much you know, titanium dioxide can actually be within the product. Taking all that information into account and using some of the you know worst case scenario information that uh, was in EFSA's opinion, using some of the um, toxicity levels that were identified in the papers that EFSA relied upon to say that there could be genotoxicity. If we assume there was genotoxicity at these concentrations, the key question is how many Skittles would you have to eat to get to that level, right? That's what we really care about. That this is this is where we're getting to risk. So we're not saying is it unsafe or is it safe. We're asking how much of this titanium dioxide would you have to ingest before we get to these really toxic levels? And you know it's kind of interesting. So I did, I ran the numbers. You know it's it's pretty easy to do. And the number I came out to is four thousand eighty. That's the key number here. Four thousand eighty Skittles per day, every day for nine years. Now, if we assume you're buying your, your Skittles at, uh, you know, one of the stores, you know, I like to go to Target. Let's say you're buying the family size bag of Skittles, right? And let's say like you're buying enough of those every day to get your 4,080 Skittles. Per year cost is going to come out to around, you know, 13000 Dollars, that's kind of outrageous. So just think about that for a second. Thirteen thousand dollars every year just on Skittles. I'm here to tell you, folks. If you're eating four thousand eighty Skittles every day, you've got much bigger problems going on than genotoxicity. I'm just saying. I don't mean to be ugly. So. Risk is telling us, hmm, you know, you're not going to get there. You're not going to get these levels of titanium dioxide. And this is why the FDA is probably saying, mm, no, no, not, not an issue. No, keep keep on using it. Because if you consider just in terms of Skittles, you know, we have limits on how much titanium dioxide can be in food, how much can be in pills. So this talk of hazard or this talk of using the precautionary principle is kind of silly. And the reason why it's kind of silly is because all chemicals are toxic at the right concentration and exposure. For instance, what's the number one killer of children in Florida today? It's water. 
Water is the number one killer of children in Florida. Why? It's not because they're drinking it per se, right? It's because of pools. Children are drowning. Drowning is one of the leading causes that well, is the leading cause of death of children in Florida. When water goes into your lungs, it can be extremely toxic at very low concentrations. Yet, you could drink that same amount of water and you'll be absolutely fine. So it's how we're exposed to the chemicals that matters, and it's the amount of the chemical that matters, right? So we can't just say, you know, we're going to ban all chemicals that are toxic because all chemicals are toxic. So you can't just ban them because they might be hazardous or because they might hurt someone. So here in the U.S., we base it off of risk. We say, okay, so how much of this stuff are you going to ingest, really? Is there anyone out there who's going to ingest 4,080 Skittles every single day of their life for nine years just to reach that concentration? And guess what? They have to continue eating 4,080 Skittles every day for the rest of their life in order to see an increase in that risk of DNA damage being done, right? And it gets a little bit more complicated than that. Just because you damage some DNA doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. We're damaging our DNA every day all the time. What matters is what cells are being damaged. What matters is, do we have DNA repair capacity to handle this? That's what matters. And guess what? We do. We have the ability to repair our DNA. And it's wonderful. And if we didn't, you would actually see higher rates of skin cancer, for instance. There are individuals in our population, they have a disease called xeroderma pigmentosa. They cannot repair their DNA. Most of those individuals will develop skin cancer at some point in their life unless they are being very good about applying sunscreen. By the way, sunscreen, a lot of them are made with titanium dioxide. So just a little fun fact. So we covered this whole risk and hazard thing, but how, how did the European Union come to the conclusion that there's too much uncertainty about titanium dioxide as it relates to genotoxicity or DNA damage. Well, in my opinion, it's pretty clear. EFSA relied on really flawed science. So EFSA cited, uh, among the many issues, one of them is it appears that EFSA cited uh, a potentially fake uh, scientific journal. That journal is the Journal of Nanoscience and Nanotechnology. In my opinion, it is a fake journal. So what is a fake scientific journal, really? Well, as I'm using this term, and you know, I've talked to some of my librarian friends who uh, agree with me on this, as well as some of my other colleagues as well, a, a fake scientific journal is a scientific journal that isn't doing its due diligence um, in vetting the science before it publishes it. There could be various kinds of issues. Maybe the peer review process that they use is flawed. Maybe they allow papers to be published because they pay them some money. Uh, in the case of the Journal of Nanoscience and Nanotechnology, it does not appear that they charge people to uh, publish their papers. Instead, they have been delisted by some of the major scientific uh, authorities um, that track journals because there have been citation issues with them. 
My personal uh, interaction with the Journal of Nanoscience and Nanotechnology is even more strange. Uh, I had identified a paper by Kurzawa Zagoda, which was cited by EFSA. I identified numerous problems with this paper, tons of issues with respect to the actual study design, how the study was executed, how the study was analyzed. And I reached out to the journal and I asked them to uh, investigate this paper uh, for retraction. Retraction is a formal process where a journal actually removes a paper from the scientific uh, literature. And the response I got from the journal was a bill for $2,000. That's right. The journal wanted to charge me $2,000 to have this paper retracted. And it's like, no, I have nothing to do with this paper other than the fact that I identified several problems with it and you need to retract it. And again, they tried to bill me again for $2,000 and I reiterated that no, I'm not paying this. You have an ethical obligation to retract this paper. Finally, finally, the editor of the journal gets in touch with me and he says, we're not retracting this because you need to get the authors to tell us to retract it. You have no business telling us to do anything with this paper. Which is false. Science is supposed to be self-correcting. And the way that we self-correct is we identify flaws in, in the studies, in the literature, and then we point these out to the journals. The journals then investigate these issues, typically with the assistance of the university or institution where the authors work. And then they make a decision as to what should be done. Typically, as in this case, they would decide that it needs to be retracted because the findings are false or highly likely to be false. That just didn't happen here. So based on my experience, based on the experience of others, based on, you know, the groups that track journals, uh, it's pretty clear that this journal is pretty well a fake journal, in my opinion, and the opinion of others. So, so EFSA cited this potentially fake journal, and that's, that's a problem right there. Uh, but there's other issues. EFSA cited lots of other studies besides Kurzawa Zagoda and, you know, that claim to see genotoxicity in the nano titanium dioxide. Here's the thing. I've looked at those studies. They all have serious flaws, very serious flaws, like the analysis was not done correctly or the study design doesn't match the analysis, things that, you know, a trained statistician can pick out really, really quickly. So there's all these problems with these papers that EFSA is citing as saying, hey, look, there could be some genotoxicity here. We don't know. The literature is kind of equivocal. And so my, my big question becomes, why? Why is EFSA looking at these papers that have such, you know, risk of bias is the technical term we use. And in this case, the bias is, a false positive. So a false positive here would be saying that something is genotoxic when it probably isn't. Why is EFSA identifying these papers as good papers and then putting them into their opinion? What's going on at EFSA? What's, what's, what's wrong with them? Well, if you go to EFSA's protocols that they used, where they explain how they um, analyze these papers and identify whether or not the papers are good quality, something is missing. EFSA does not look at the statistical analyses that were performed, nor does EFSA look at the study design from the uh, eye of a trained statistician. So what's happening here is 
EFSA is looking at these papers and the conclusions in these papers are all driven by what's called a p-value. And there's multiple issues with p-values and I'm not going to get into that today, but just to say EFSA is looking at these p-values and saying, yep, this p-value says there's definitely an effect here. But what EFSA isn't doing is they aren't looking at how did that p-value come about? And could there be something happening with respect to the statistical analysis or the study design that would cause the p-value to look like it's better than it really is? EFSA is not doing that. This is extremely sloppy. EFSA was sloppy in how they assessed these papers. They didn't do their job. And as a result of EFSA being sloppy and not doing their job and not looking and critiquing the science appropriately, the European Commission then banned titanium dioxide. That really puts into question a lot of stuff about our institutions. If you're a European, I'd be pretty upset right now. There are a lot of issues. And so now this really call, you know, calls the credibility of EFSA and the European Commission into really serious question. So again, you're probably asking yourself now, okay, so bottom line, is titanium dioxide safe? Yes, titanium dioxide is safe in the food and medicines when they're used as directed by the FDA and FDA does check these things. Keep in mind, here's what I want you to remember. 4,080 Skittles every day for nine years before you're going to reach this supposedly genotoxic dose, which again, probably isn't actually genotoxic at all. And if you're eating that many Skittles, I guarantee you, you have much bigger problems than genotoxicity. So there you go. Live without fear of your Skittles. If you like what you heard today, give us a like at your favorite place to listen to podcasts. Leave a review. Tell your friends. Help us grow. I really appreciate it. And we'll have more episodes uh, talking about uh, food safety and toxicology and science uh, coming up. So thanks for listening to Critical Science. I'm Dr. Lyle Vergoon.